Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. It's your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday. You know what that means. I'm coming at you with another conversation with a collector and a content creator that matters. I got my man, OG John Newman from Sports Card Nation on the podcast. I was just on his last week and we did a little swap. He's jumping on mine. I wanted to talk to him about history in the hobby history with content creation, the origin story behind Sports Card Nation, get a little bit into the fanatics and uh, news, get into uh, Michael Rubin in the conversation from last week. We cover a lot of ground. If you like what you're hearing over here, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review. More importantly, tell a damn friend about Stacking Slabs. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Happy Friday. If you're listening to this when this episode drops, I'm excited for this conversation. It's been a while since I've chatted with another content creator in the space, and I don't want to date this one, but I consider him an OG content creator in the space. When I got started and got back into the hobby, I went to uh, my feeds looking for some sports card content and um my guest show popped up and um I've been a regular listener he's creates value brings on great guests and I and without further ado I'm joined by John Newman Sports Card Nation podcast I got a chance to be on his show last week and I said John I got to have you on mine without further ado John welcome how are you Awesome man thanks for thanks for having me thanks for joining me like you said last week, uh, two football guys. Not that, that we just do football, but uh, no, I, I'll be bold to say we're both pretty football intelligent, uh, sport wise and hobby wise. And you get two of those guys in the in the same room, same screen. Uh, you never know what what'll happen. So glad, glad to do the home and away series here. So, <laughs> and, and I will say, um, as I record this, it's uh, it's a happier Monday for me because. My Colts got their first win, but we've been commiserating a little bit because our teams haven't started off on the right foot. And John, for the audience, if you aren't aware already, John's a diehard Steelers fan. We got a chance to chop up a little bit about the Steelers and our my team kind of before we hopped on. But, uh, you know, football, we'll get into the collecting side of it, but I think it's always good to set the stage with just passion over a sport and your team. So, um, maybe just give some thoughts on Steelers. I know it's a rough go, but just what's going on in your head so far? Uh, my, me and my son, uh, Brett, go at, you know, my son's 21. His name is Jordan. We're, we're both Steeler fans and he's kind of the glass half full uh, guy. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I don't want to make, I'm not like this all the time with everything, but sort of with the Steelers and at least this year, what I've seen and watched, I'm sort of the glass uh, half empty guy. So we sort of, I don't want to say butt heads, but we we have different differences of opinion, and he he thinks it's you know uh, we can still salvage some things. I'm like, you know, I'm already thinking about 2022 and and what what we're gonna look like uh, then. I'll watch, the, but that being said, Brad, I'll watch every game as if we're undefeated, even when we're not. And uh, 
it's hard to root against your team. I know we talked a little bit before we went live about, you know, you want, if you're not going to make the playoffs, you want as high a draft pick as you can get to, to get better, especially needing a quarterback as the Steelers uh, are going to be uh, needing uh, in the offseason. And, uh, you know, it, you don't root against uh, your team. It's sort of sacrilegious, but uh, it's a it's a tough place to be in when you don't think you got a shot this year. Uh, what do you, you know? How do you approach that? But I watch every game. I'll root every game, and then when they lose, I'll I'll psychoanalyze the game to to every play call and and play and and that's I guess that's a little therapy uh, after the fact, just the venting. And I think we all do that as football fans. No. 100%. Before we dive into your podcast and the story behind it, I'd love, I've been trying to like connect the dots on players and collectability and what kind of makes a player collectible or not. And I'm looking at you as a Steelers fan, you've probably watched Big Ben play almost every one of his game, every snap. Um, But, you know, you know, he's accomplished so much, you know, I think it's safe to say hall of fame career, but you know, he's, his name just in, in the hobby and in card circles, isn't often brought up he's not a guy that you hear a lot of people talking about and collecting and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not, I'm just, I'm wrong and I'm not hearing it. Maybe you're, you hear it more and maybe people are collecting it because you're hanging out with Steelers fans, but I don't know. Like, how do you how do you kind of diagnose Big Ben is in his collectability in the hobby? He's underrated. I mean, when you look at the numbers, Brett, he, he definitely should be a Hall of Famer. I'm I'm going to say something here. I mean, this is something even me and my son going back to that. We 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 argue over this. You know, he'll he's he'll say, Dad, he's a he's a first battle Hall of Famer, and I'm saying that he should be. But if I'm, you know, playing devil's advocate, I don't think he gets in. I'm, I think he gets in. I just don't think, like my son does, that he's getting in the first year he's eligible. And if you, and and the reason why is the same. I'm gonna where I'm going with this is kind of tying the hobby and and football itself together. Is he's sort of not a likable guy. You know, he's not very endearing we all you know not to bring up bad uh you don't have to be a Steeler fan to remember you know eight to ten years ago uh, some allegations that came up with uh in the uh, indiscriminate behavior with a young lady uh never you know never formally charged but that thing lingered for a few months you know kind of got in a motorcycle accident uh not wearing a helmet a lot of people said you know not thinking responsibly. He's the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's just, you know, being a little reckless. And so the numbers are there, but he's not that likable factor is not as there in relation to other quarterbacks. And and even even with even with Steeler fans themselves. So if your own fandom can kind of nitpick at you a little bit, you you darn well know opposing teams fans are going to bring all that stuff. Up, you know, he has a nickname. If you go to road games, uh, you'll see either a sign or you hear it. Uh, it's not very, it's not very good. I won't say it uh, on your airwaves. If you <laughs> if you put it together, two plus two, uh, what the allegations and his name, Roethlisberger, you can kind of figure out uh, what it is, or you may already know. Here in this, we talk about it. Um, so 
he's not endearing like a Peyton Manning or even an Eli uh, or even a Philip Rivers. And, and, and you know, I, I mentioned Eli and Philip Rivers. They're from the same draft class. And, and he's sort of the last one kind of hanging on. Uh, we can debate. That's, you could do a whole show on, on whether he should be or not. But uh, he's just not he's not a warming sort of endearing personality. I think he's, he's tried to improve that, especially the last three or four years, but it's hard when you're certain way for 12 to 14. And then you say, Hey, I got to be a different sort of the people have kind of already made their minds up. So you look at the numbers, Brett, he's going to be in the hall of fame. It's just, you know, when does he get in that first try or does he have to wait? I'm, I tend to believe he's going to have to wait. Hobby-wise, the same thing. I think people are a little bit, you know, I think it's the whole Brady effect, too, that we talked about even pertaining to Manning. And, and Ben Roethlisberger is not Peyton Manning. So let's not let's not confuse uh, that that argument. And so, you know, he played just during that same era where he just overshadowed, you know. Steeler fans would like to tell you if it wasn't for Brady, you know, Roethlisberger would have, five rings. I don't know if that's true. I like to uh, think that would have been possible, but you know, we'll, we'll never know, but uh, I like them. You know, I, I do. I don't want to, I don't see them per se, but uh, I have some stuff that uh, when, again, it's that whole thing when something's kind of even, even I buy patents because I think they're undervalued. Same thing uh, with certain Roethlisberger. Some, but if you look at some of his early sign stuff, it's actually that they're, they're, they've actually trended up in the last, a couple years as he gets uh, to the end of his career. I love it. Um, something you said, and I kind of want to get into this based on your tenure in the hobby. You've been in the hobby 30 plus years. You use the word. I don't want to date you here, John, but there's, there's some level of experience there. And you mentioned the word endearing when talking about um, players that are collectible. And I think that's important. I think it's so, so much of what we want to do in the hobby, I think is forecast and speculate. And sometimes there are these players that are right in front of our faces that have proven um, they maybe have won a championship. They've been a perennial all-star, maybe an MVP conversations, and this can cross all sports, but what, what do you think makes a, a player collectible 10 to 20 years from when they hang up? the boots, like what are those qualities and what are the things that maybe any collectors listening to this show who are looking for a player to collect or a lane to go down should be thinking about um, when trying to build out a PC that they think a year or I mean, 10 years from now could be like something that's full of a lot of collectability. Like what are those traits and players that you would recommend people look at? I think it goes, you know, for, it starts with the resume, right? They got to have uh, they got to perform and, and have stats that are, are Hall of Fame worthy or, or pretty close. Uh, I don't think it's the end all be all. I think they have to be sort of endearing. Uh, I use that word again, kind of the fans, you know, kind of interact. I mean, we've seen uh, again, I know I keep bringing them up uh, maybe because he's your guy, but, you know, e- even Eli, but Peyton, you know, still doing a lot of shows and segments on, on various networks commercials and and specials and uh, just you can tell you can tell a guy like that loves the game like he's not playing no more and he probably would be if he could he just he can't so he's still uh in, involved so i think a, a guy that you know you talk about passion a lot on your show i think 
people can tell that whether it's us doing a, a sports card podcast or an athlete, even, even after their career is over, uh, fans can tell like this guy loves the game, loves everything involved in it and uh, rubs off on, on them. And so sort of that sustainability, even when they hang up uh, their cleats, uh, whatever sport uh, they're playing, uh, they still, you know, are involved and care. And, um, you know, I think people like that because they care, right? If you're, if you're collecting cards, I don't want to say 100%, but if you're collecting a sport, uh, you know, you, you're probably a fan of that sport in some sort of way. And so I think people, uh, collectors in, in this case, kind of gravitate to someone as passionate like they are. Hey, they're, he's a player. He's an athlete. Uh, he's retired and yet he's still around and, and he's got a lot of drive for, for the sport still. I have that on the collecting side of the house. And uh, I think we gravitate to that more than someone who sort of retires and they're out of the, they're out of the, the view, you know, Barry Sanders, who's obviously probably arguably one of the greatest running backs, another guy that's kind of undervalued and he kind of the opposite of pain, you know, we retired. A lot of people felt, even too soon. And um, you don't see a lot of them. You see a little bit more now with the, the Heisman house commercials. And I think that's helping them sort of get back. You're starting to do more uh, shows where he's signing autographs, but there was a good five to seven years there, right after he retired that he was gone. Like he was not, he's not even really going to like Detroit uh, for any kind of events there or not like you, you would think. Um, and so he was out of sight. Uh, out of mind. No, no one was arguing with the, the greatness and the Hall of Fame resume, but it, people sort of forget you a little bit if you don't do things to keep yourself uh, in that limelight a little bit. Uh, same thing with like a Calvin Johnson. He retired early. I don't know what's going on in Detroit. Probably, the- I would leave. I would leave there. I would leave yeah, probably, there. <laughs> probably someone to lose in, and 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 he too, man. He's he's a great player. Uh, just like Barry, but he kind of, he, he hung up the cleats and just walked away and, and didn't really, uh, wasn't on ESPN, you know, didn't, wasn't an analyst and, and doing a lot of things that keep you uh, in the forefront. So I think we sort of, you know, it's kind of, I think even in the hobby, I don't know if you agree with this. We sort of have a, what have you done for me lately sort of mindset, uh, even with a guy who's, who's retired, but like, Hey, you, you could still be out there where I can see you and, and sort of thing. And then it's, it's, you know, the example on the basketball side is Shaquille O'Neal, obviously a hall of famer, but doing all sorts of commercials from little Caesars to the general uh, on TNT as an analyst, uh, pretty outspoken. He'll go after uh, certain current players and kind of put them on blast. And I think people sort of like that uh, sort of thing. And so, He's still a very collected uh, player. And I think some of that uh, comes from just him being kind of in the forefront still, even many uh, moons after retiring. Yeah, it's it's no disrespect to uh, Detroit and the Detroit Lions. It's just been a rough go a couple decades in a row or a few decades or several decades. Um, but it's funny you bring up Calvin Johnson. I obviously he was in Peyton's Hall of Fame class and I don't know what it was, if it was Instagram TV or whatever, but I saw something and it was just like, check out, like, it was like, check out how great Calvin Johnson is. And it had, it, you know, I'd watched his Hall of Fame stuff, but like, 
it was like his five best catches or whatever. And you just watch this guy play. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, like you've never seen anything like it. And so back to Barry Sanders too, it was like, I think about my growing up and who, when I was playing football with my buddies, who did we want to be? It was like, you're Emmett Smith. I'm Barry Sanders. And it's just like this nostalgia test. I think we, we can all go through in the hobby where it's like, we've got these different periods in our lives and whether it was us growing up, whether it was us in high school, you know, college, whatever, where you're like, when I, that, when that period of my life was going on, like who were the players across the sports that are first to mind? And I think to me, it's like those first players that come to your mind, regardless of if people are collecting them or posting their pictures on Twitter and Instagram, like those are the players that I, I feel like I, I'm drawn to and are the players that like I want to collect and having that kind of connection with my past. Uh, what, what about you? Can you relate with that at some level? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not from Pittsburgh, but yet I'm a Steeler fan and, and I'll give you the, just the real short version, even how that happened. I'm a New York city kid. So I'm growing up in, in Brooklyn, New York. All my buddies and friends are, are giants or jets fans. And I grew up during that steel curtain when, and I'm not gonna lie, they were winning Super Bowls. But really, the, the, the final thing for me was, um, and you might be too young to remember this, but I know someone out there listening. It's actually the, the great, it was voted the greatest commercial in commercial history was the Mean Joe Coke commercial. <laughs> and that kid at that time and, and me were the same age at that time. And matter of fact, uh, if, if I showed you a picture of what I look like then, a lot less facial hair, we'll just put it that way. and. I had a resemblance to that kid. And so I just sort of like put myself in that kid's place. And so, you know, he gives Mean Joe his coat. Mean Joe throws his jersey to him, gives it to the kid. And I was sort of, uh, that day I became uh, over commercial. It's crazy commercial and and winning some Super Bowls. And I was a big, Mean Joe's my guy uh, to this day. And and, uh, that started, you know, I think that was uh, 78. And uh, been a Steeler fan, uh, and I was six years old, seven years old at that time, and uh, uh, the rest is history. And uh, yes, they were winning some Super Bowls, but uh, I want people to also uh, fair, you know, fair transparency. I stuck in the '80s too when they were one of the worst football. I didn't jump ship and and you know go to probably at the time the Cowboys or the Niners uh, when they were winning all those Super Bowls. So. There were some lean 80s years as a as a Steelers fan, and I I, I stuck with them. Uh, here we are in, in 2021, <laughs> and it's starting to look like the 80s again. I hope I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, it's funny, right? Like uh, little things like that, you know, depending on what age you are, you're, you can, you know, you're very impressionable. And I took a lot of heat speaking, you know, my friends being Jets or Giants fans, like, how do you like the Steelers? We're in New York. You're not even going to go to a Steeler game. Like, you know, it's in Pittsburgh. We don't even know where Pittsburgh is. You know, we're seven years old. I know it's not here. And um, I just stood by, you know, I took a look, I took the brunt. I'm just like, I don't like the Jets. I don't like the Giants. And uh, I'm a Steeler fan. Take your shots. And uh, it is what it is. And uh, so it, it's just things like that. And, um, you know, going back to Calvin Johnson, too, uh, I, I I always tell people, go look at this guy's numbers. And, you know, as great as Jerry Rice is, arguably the 
the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Think of who's thrown the ball to Calvin Johnson uh, during his career. It wasn't Joe Montana or or Steve Young. It, it, you know, it was uh, guys like Joey Harrington and uh, other guys you can uh, uh, forgettable names. You know, uh, Scott, um, uh, the guy that went to the Dolphins from the, the, the Lions. So he, he played well and then he got a big contract. Uh, his name escapes me, but, uh, you know, he didn't have marquee quarterbacks. Let's just put it that way. Yet such a great player that he, he put up those numbers and he had a short career, kind of hung him up early and uh, still uh, first ballot uh, Hall of Famer and uh, arguably one of the greatest uh, wide receivers to, to play the game and to do it without, you know, household name quarterbacks. That's uh, I think all the more a little another notch in his belt. Uh, if you will. Yeah. And I'll, bef- w- before we move off this topic, this will be a therapeutic for me as a Colts fan to, you know, where we go through rough stretches as, as fans and you're going through one. Uh, hopefully I'm on the other side of one right now. We'll see time will tell, but the Steelers have caused me a, a lot of pain in my career. I, I know I talk a lot about the Patriots, but here's a couple um, instances for you. I'll never forget. 95-96 uh, AFC Championship, Jim Harbaugh throwing that ball up in the back of the end zone, comes down on Aaron Bailey's stomach, rolls off, Steelers go to the Super Bowl. Uh, I'll never forget watching that game. The, the hardest one was probably 05. The Colts had the best team I've ever seen. And the bus, RCA Dome, the fumble, Nick Harper, shoestring tackle, missed field goal, Vanderjack, Steelers prevail. And then one that probably not a lot of Colts fans, they blacked out, but I drove from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh first time at Heinz, and I got to see Ben throw seven touchdowns on the Colts. Uh, Martavius Bryant, <laughs> that, that era. And yep. We were I, I at went. that game together. We didn't know it, but we both <laughs> attended that game. I was there. Uh, actually for that game. So that's uh, funny. You mentioned, I remember the shooting. That's that was Roethlisberger making a, a rare, uh, a game saving tackle, quite frankly. If you, I don't know if you've ever seen the Steelers did like a sort of a, a retrospective video uh, to that season. And, and, and Jerome said, like, I thought I just costed us uh, a chance. And in a sense, yeah. said, if Roethlisberger doesn't make that play, mm-hmm. that, that game, Goes a whole different way. One. I mean, like you said, Vanderjack misses it, gets called a name uh, by Manning, I believe, uh, and uh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. And, uh, you know, not funny for you at the time and definitely nerve wracking. I had a lot less fingernails at the end of that game. And uh, when and Bettis is not known for fumbling. That's that's the going back to that game. Not to not to harp on it for you, but. Like seeing that ball squirt out, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like he's the last, you you didn't even think that was a possibility, you know, and he's a smart, he's a cerebral uh, player. He knew, he even said when they interviewed him about this, like I had, you know, two hands on the ball, just where I was hit, it it came out and uh, said, thank God for Ben saving me. Uh, Otherwise I have to live. And, you know, that was his, he came back to try to win a Super Bowl. That was an incredible run for the Steelers. They got in uh, kind of last minute as a wild card, played mostly uh, on the, I think, all on the road to to get to that sort of just with house money. And uh, that's 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 the beauty of football, as you know, too, Brett, is 
is a game of inches or game of one play or two plays here and there can change the course uh, of history. And, uh, you know, uh, Steelers wound up uh, from that wild card spot. One of the few times uh, it's happened uh, where the, that team wins the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, not a good moment for you, but, uh, you know, believe me, I've been on the other side of those two. So. And we can, we can put a punctuation point on this. The irony of this all as this is coming to me is that uh, the Super Bowl, I believe that year was in Jerome's home, which is yep, Detroit, Detroit, which is what yeah. we've been talking full about. Circle. It's yeah. come full circle. Oh, uh, well, let's talk about sports card nation. We, I mentioned up at the top when I got back in the hobby, searching for content, found your stuff, listened to your show. And, you know, there wasn't, wasn't even, you know, 18 months to two years ago, there wasn't a lot of content around. Um, yeah. very selective on podcasts and yours was one that hit my feet and I began listen to began listening to, I'd love to maybe understand kind of the reason why you started this, the show and, and kind of maybe get the origin story of, of sports card nation. Yeah, it's longer, but I'm going to, I'll give you the cliff notes uh, version for the sake of a time and, and, and interest. But, uh, I was a big fan at the time. We're talking about OGs. Really, the the OG was was Eric Norton and, and Fat Packs uh, at the time. Uh, and I we I was traveling to New York City uh, a lot, and so my son would ride with me a, a lot of times. And he's at the time probably eleven, twelve, thirteen, and so we would like literally binge listen uh, to Fat Packs and Eric Norton. And uh, I even joke with Eric who uh, at the time I didn't know him yet but now a very good friend. And we have a little inside joke that my son likes him better than, than, than me, which is actually not really a joke. It's more, it's about 75% true. But my son, knowing my kind of card history, owned a store for seven years, um, you know, knowledgeable or, or fairly knowledgeable. He turned to me one day and said, dad, you could do, you could do a podcast like Eric Norton does. I'm like, I, I probably could. But he does such a great job. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of a shit. Believe it or not, uh, I'm sort of a shy guy, you know. And I never really thought about it. And he asked probably a couple of times of asking me that. Then I start, you know, I started thinking about it. But you think about something right, and then the thought leaves your mind, and and that's the end of it. And then what happened? I had a friend of mine. His name's Dan Tatora. He's from Syracuse here, um, but he was down in Orlando working for ESPN, doing a sports uh, radio morning show. And, uh, you know, I won't get into all the politics. He's a person of faith. So at the end of every show, he'd say, God bless you. See you tomorrow, you know, different things like that. They kind of frowned on that. And then they, he was also telling me, they were telling him, this is your opinion on this topic. And he would say, it's not how I feel. As a matter of fact, it's, I feel the other way. And they're like, well, if you're going to go on the airwaves, this isn't what you have to run with. So they were literally scripting his opinion. And he said he went from like driving to work, loving his job, like didn't even view it as work to the opposite, like dreading it. And he made a decision. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be a you know, phony. Uh, it felt like he was selling out and he couldn't do it. And so he moved back to Syracuse and he, he started his own uh, broadcasting company, Dan Tutoria. Uh, broadcast media in his basement, built a studio and did a morning every it's an everyday show, three hours every morning sport. It was not hobby, but real sports. And uh, he does it 
He does about an hour on video and two hours are just going to be uh, audio. And he collected cards a little bit. Not, nothing like probably like we do, but he, he dabbled in it. And he goes, at the time, I was I had Fridays off. I had every Friday off, working 4-10. And he's like, John, uh, how about this Friday? Bring over like seven to ten cards that are sort of with what's going on in the sports world and kind of make the connection uh, with them. And uh, I said, yeah, I can do that. So I brought, you know, I brought probably seven or eight cards that were of guys that were playing well, or if it was playoff, just to kind of to, to connect the two worlds. Um, and he advertised it like lean up to the week. We're going to have a sort of a hobby segment just for an hour. Um, and I didn't realize it was going to be, I thought it was just going to be audio. I didn't realize that was going to be the video hour. He didn't really kind of tell me. So then I got there, got situated, and he, he goes, oh, you ready? I got to turn the camera on. I'm like, whoa, I thought this was just audio. He goes, no, nah, I mean, if you bring cards, I want people to see them. And I didn't really, you know, probably more absent-minded on me. I'm like, all right. And I was a little bit nervous, and then we got into it, and it just it, it went very well. It was supposed to be a one-time deal. I went home. You know, he called me like, four hours later hey you have you have every friday off right like i do for now i'm like my schedule might change he goes man i got like 40 either combined calls texts or emails people think this is going to be like an every friday hobby hour segment collective we and he coined a collectible corner and he's like can you do this every friday i'm like i can do it under two circumstances number one i have you know, my schedule doesn't change. And number two, it doesn't interrupt anything here. Like if someone has like a doctor's appointment, I got to take the dog to the vet or something along those lines. And I said, and then I told him, I also need a whole bowl of like yellow M&Ms. That's my writer. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll just, you know, so I, we, I did like 15 weeks and really kind of proved to me, uh, Brett, that was sort of the, the, the litmus to say, like, I can do this. Even though it's not my show, I can go on, carry conversation. Um, then my work schedule changed. I didn't have Fridays off. And my son, Jordan, that I've, I've mentioned a few times, he actually did about five episodes himself with Dan until he went had to go off to college. So, uh, and then that was the end of that. But it was that, that, you know, I was starting to think about doing something. And then when that happened, I'm like, I proved I can kind of talk about the hobby, have that banter, um, and then Sports Car Nation was born. And when 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 I launched it in November of 2018, the first, I think, four episodes were just me. Um, and I just realized, like, uh, you know, I'm not super interesting. I think having a guest uh, is more of a recipe uh, for uh, success. And so I, I, I tried to get a guest on each week. Uh, and I will tell you, you probably can uh, agree to this. You know, when you're first starting out and you're new, it was, I had to chase people around, you know, like, hey, you want to come on the show? Who are you, man? You know, and, uh, and it went from that. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be braggadocious here, but you sort of, you build your resume up. And, and now my problem is I'm sort of backlog and, you know, I have to try to space these out and be fair in the order. I've, promise people to come on so you go from you know hey please come on my show to like i'm gonna get you on as soon as i can type of uh deal i'm sure you're you're probably very familiar 
uh, with that. And um, it just took me actually doing it on someone else's show to me to take the plunge to do it uh, myself. And uh, we're almost three years in here in a couple months. That's amazing. Great story. And uh, congratulations on the run. So many people start shows and do it for a little bit and then get busy or just, uh, you know, drop off. And I think with content, consistency is everything. And the more consistent you are in providing value, I know you can relate with this, the more listeners appreciate it and you build your audience. Um, it with it, you've been doing this since 2018. I'd love to know, like, you've, you've met a lot of people, interviewed a lot of guests. Like, what are some of the most memorable moments from your show that stand out um, that when you think about just launching the show, talking to people like those those moments and those guests that like really stand out? I love I love every interview. I, I know this is going to sound cliche. Anyone that comes on the show, I appreciate it. Uh, you being the most recent at, at this point of this. A conversation. Anyone that's going to come on, they could be doing something else. They don't have to say yes. They can do whatever they want to do to give time to the show. But to, to answer your question, that's not the answer to your question. I just know when I'm not going to mention everyone, I also want to uh, point that out. Uh, a couple of things. I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Beckett, for me, who had a store from 92 to 97, um, you know, selling that that magazine, the price guide in the store. Uh, and and knowing what he means, he's a hobby, as you know, and you you've been on his show, and and vice versa. I mean, he's a hobby icon, a hobby legend. If you would have told me in 1993 that this, you know, Doctor Beck, you would do podcasts were even even around, but you would get to know. Forget about podcasting, but you would get to know Doctor Beckett and become friends with him on a personal level. I would thought you were not like, all right, man, what kind of drugs? are you doing right now? You know, uh, sorry to put it like that, but I would have never thought that. And, um, you know, getting to know him and, and becoming friends with him, uh, super down to earth guy. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this to him, but, uh, you know, I think we all have perceptions of people until we actually meet them. And I sort of had this perception, you know, because of who he was, you know, and that perception, he, shattered that as being just a, a real down-to-earth nice guy who cares about everyone cares about the hobby loves the hobby and you know this is a guy who still does his he does as you know a, a daily 15 minute uh 12 minute podcast every day you don't have to do that he can enjoy you know life and 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 do all a bunch of other stuff but if that doesn't tell you that this guy loves the hobby cares about the hobby i don't know uh, what it is so uh, I'm just blessed to to have that relationship with him. He's been on uh, the show a few times and vice versa. Um, Randy Lurch, uh, a pitcher. Another one that comes to mind for me is Randy Lurch. Uh, uh, played for the Phillies uh, predominantly uh, in the late 70s and, and, and 80s and uh, wrote a book, uh, got into substance abuse, alcohol abuse, almost died uh, numerous times. And he came on the show and, and much like I say to anyone else, and hey, I, there's nothing off limits. Ask me whatever you want. I'm going to give you this great scoop. One of the most, I don't know if you want to use the word poignant, sounds a little dramatic, but really, you know, every once in a while, so a lot of times I don't always go back and listen to interviews after I've heard them, but every once in a while I go back to that one because 
it to me it was the first one i think it was in the 70s um it was the first one that was sort of touched outside the hobby and uh, it was outreach and uh, you know he literally gave his phone number right on the air and says if anyone's dealing with anything you can call me up it could be three o'clock in the morning i'm here for you i've been there uh i've been there and i i know what you're going through and i think it i think it goes to show i point to that episode because it goes to show uh what we do can can go outside the lines and, and be positive in more ways than, than just the hobby and we did talk cards i don't want to make it like it was all you know we talked about his career he told some funny pete rose stories uh you know, I, I know it's a shameless plug. If anyone checked that episode out, it's probably one of my my favorites. If I'm ranking them on whatever it ranks, I don't know, but it's it's up there in the mix. Uh, Steve uh, Steve Winfrey uh, and his wife, the, the kidney couple, as they're known, uh, with the baseball card uh, correlation. Another another great moment which transcends outside the hobby as well with organ donation and. Uh, all the great guests uh, that I've had, uh, you know, uh, you know, we came up with that tagline that the hobby is the people, every one of us. Uh, and, you know, uh, whether, you know, I've had seven year old uh, Parker Frederick King on the show, the young man uh, who's a big Kansas city chiefs fan with his, his father, Garrett. So whether you're a seven year old kid in the hobby or CEO, we're all, we're all in this together. Uh, and uh, we put, you know, most of us put our pants on uh, one leg at a time. Every once in a while, I try to jump into them, two legs, and I usually like fall down and, and break something I didn't know I had. But you know, it's it's that stuff, Brett. You know, it doesn't matter. I've always said this: it doesn't matter. You know, your status in life. If you're in the hobby, enjoying the hobby, um, uh, it, it's a great thing. And uh, you know. I've had all walks of life on the show uh, and, and I always will. I don't, you know, I've had people, you know, I've had Richard Davis, who's a, a Wade box super collector. And when I reached out to him, him on the show, you know, he, he, he said me, you know, like, why me? I just like, have a lot of Wade box, but I don't know how interesting uh, that is. And I'm like, it's one of my most, you know, I told this to him too. It was one of my most downloaded shows, you know, had my dad on who, who, you know, grew up in Ebbets Field with the, with the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know. He got to be on Dr. Dr. Beckett's uh, show on, on Father's Day week. And so that we're all intertwined uh, with, this, with the passion uh, of the hobby. That's a word we keep kind of coming back to. And uh, passion for life as well. And, and, and so, again, all, all my guests are, are just, I, I appreciate them giving time to the show some of those ones that sort of talk about some topics, maybe some other podcast, I'm not saying you, but maybe wouldn't be interested in, or ah, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I think it's important because we're at the end of the day, we're all so human beings that have, you know, are we're, 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 you know, have to be alive to enjoy the hobby. Someone on my show can maybe be the difference or something I say, could be the difference between someone maybe being here or not is as crazy as that might sound or dramatic as that might sound. And then I'm going to have someone on like that to, to talk about whatever. Uh, those are some of my, my favorites there. I love it. And I will say you mentioned it and you took the words right out of my mouth. Cause I was going to bring it up. One of my favorite 
sayings and phrases in the hobby is the hobby is the people you say it it's on your show it's the john newman catchphrase and i think i gravitate to that because what we're doing is sports cards but sports cards doesn't exist without the people the community and the relationships and um i always call it an escape and when i'm escaping from work from stresses in life i go to cards and whether it's a social platform, you know, a, a platform to buy, whatever, I'm always interacting with other people to understand uh, what their feedback is, understand uh, where I can learn. And it seems like sometimes when we're kind of down a, a road of negativity in the hobby, because something's going on, people lose sight of the fact that it's a community and the hobby is the people. So maybe just catch me up on like where that came from and just what it means to you. You know, it, it, I, I, I like to, to come up with like some great dramatic story, but it, it really isn't. I was just, I don't even, it, here's the thing. I don't even remember when I first thought of it, but I just like, you know, some other shows had sort of like taglines or things they kind of said. And I just starting as a seven-year-old kid, Brett, as, as opening that first pack, then becoming working in a card store, then working the show circuit. I did my first show at 15 years old, opened that store that I mentioned at, at age 20 to 26, 27, then went on to do shows again, kind of traveled the Northeast doing shows. Uh, eBay came along at that point, it was a, an infancy uh, company, we, not what we know it as. Uh, today got involved uh, uh, with eBay. And, and then, you know, all these years later now, content creation, and I've learned in those, whatever, long 30 years, right? Like you said, the cards are why we're all here, but the people, all, all those stories, I can tell you stories from my seven-year-old experiences as a, as a collector. I can tell you, I remember my first show at 15, it was 33 years ago. Uh, almost 34 and i can remember certain things about that show i can't remember i had for dinner two nights ago but i can remember that show from 34 years ago the first one and then opening the store it's all those stories that connect us and what are the stories about people conversations experiences interactions and uh, i'm not when i you know one person messaged me once when i came up with that tagline not in a bad sort of way, but they were like, well, we're all here at the cards, the hobbies, the cards. And, I'm, and you know, my response was, I, I, I'm not arguing that with you. I won't, I'm not going to argue because there isn't, but it's those, it, the people that along the way, you know, for me, one of the things Dr. Beckett asked me was other than a relative, who's like your hobby inspiration. And, and it's a gentleman named Rudy Baxter, who I haven't seen in years, quite frankly, I hope he's still alive. I'm, I don't know. And uh, he hired me, uh, you know, at, at 13 years old, 14 years old. I'm in this card store almost every day, if, if not every day. And he's like, dude, you're in here almost every day. I should might as well just hire you. And he was like half kidding. And I wasn't. I'm like, OK, what do, I, what do you want me to do? And from there, you know, we worked out. A day. And literally what I first started doing, I was just making monster boxes like all day. Like, I was like the quickest on the East coast. I probably made the quickest uh, monster box. I used to joke around 
And even when I did shows with him, I was just stacking those things up. He was selling them uh, at the show. But it was him that uh, got me doing the shows, working in the store. Uh, you know, the deal was uh, I'll pay you half cash and half like credit, store credit. And so I get half store credit, but then whatever I was getting cash, I just buy more cards anyway. So it was really a hundred percent store credit. And then, you know, all my friends are like, man, you got the best collection. You should do, why do you have to work? You know, you should do your own show. You have enough. And I'm like, I'm working, you know, with Rudy. And, uh, you know, I remember when I decided I got my tax number at 15 and, and did my first show and, I told Rudy and he was, he wasn't really happy about it. Like, you know, and there was a year where he kind of, here we are now at the same show, just set up individually. And I kind of got the, you know, the, the stink eye, if you will. And then after about a year doing that circuit and he came over to me and, you know, extended his hand and say, man, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, I was a little selfish when I got a little mad that, you know, I really, you know, you're a great worker and I, I didn't want to lose you. And instead of supporting you, I took kind of the other side of that coin and I wanted to apologize. I'm like, I get it. You don't have to, you know, I'm just glad we kind of buried the, uh, the hatch. And then we actually wound up setting up uh, at shows like together, like the tables, you know, they made like a quad box. He'd have two, I'd have two. And, and it's those relationships and, and then opening my store. And so um, it's those stories, those people, and not just him, obviously many others. Uh, as well. Uh, I think we all have uh, those stories. It doesn't matter too, Brett, whether you're doing it 30 years or you've been in it one year, we all have stories. You know, I just have more and a lot of mine are probably, I just have a lot more boring ones after 30, 30 years too. But, you know, it's, it's all that, the, the stories, the people, the experiences, the, the exchanges uh, that uh, make this hobby fun. If it was just us and we didn't talk to anybody and we just, you know, that's not really what fun do you get out of that solely. I'm sure some people might uh, might be up their alley, but I think the the general consensus was, you know, why do we see big attendance at a show, right? We love that that interaction uh, between not just dealers but fellow collectors uh, as well. So that when I was thinking of a tagline, kind of bringing this all back, when I was thinking of a sort of a tagline, it. Ju- I'm not even going to lie. I, I, I didn't have to write down like 10 of them. And oh, I don't like this one. I, it was really one of the, it was the first thing that came to the mind. I'm like, what is this hobby? Um, and I'm like, the hobby is the people. And that was the rest of this history. It was the really the, it just kind of hit me and I wrote it down. And then I start just putting it on like any kind of designs or any logos. It became part of the, part of the, the show. So I love it. I love the backstory too. Maybe we shift over to some some recent news. Um, I usually don't hit the hobby headlines too often with my guests, but I, I figured based on your years of experience and um, you having a show and opinion, you might have some thoughts on this, but I'd love to dig in maybe a little bit to the Fanatics news. And I don't want to speculate and I, we don't we'll have get in our crystal balls and look and just figure out what's going to happen, you know, five years from now or whatever, but I think it's important, just topical. Um, You had Michael Rubin, CEO of Fanatics, get on CNBC show. And the thing that stood out to me, John, was the first thing he said, I'm a guy, do marketing, do communications for a living. 
And the first thing he said was the collector experience is pretty brutal. And I think I'm not saying that there's no validity to some of that statement, but I think for him to come out and and say that right out of the gates, um, you know, I had a little trouble with that because I think part of the experience and navigating the experience and not wanting it to be easy makes it interesting in the hobby and gives us something to do. And I understand like the platform and him having to speak to, you know, investors and whatever. But to me, in the way we build trust and build relationships and that it just didn't it did it didn't hit me the right way when when I heard him say that. I'd love to know maybe just when after, you know, I'm sure at this point you've consumed some piece of that, if not all of it. Like, what was your reaction to the Fanatics? Uh, Just that interview with Michael Rubin and Fanatics. Yeah, it's funny you said that, Brett, what what you talk about, like what he came right off the bat with. I mean, he didn't even, like you say, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't like stick it in there in the middle. Just kind of the shot over the bow, right? Fire one, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what it shows is that this company, listen, they're very successful. We, we can't argue uh, with the numbers and, and, and all the charts and all that stuff. Uh, but I think they're going to be, I think what it shows is, I think when you, you know, we don't have to rehash it at all. It's pretty much out in the open now. Some of the, the negotiations kind of behind the scenes, quietly, uh, secretly. I think it shows that they're they're ruthless, right? Whether whether they're coming from a place, hey, we want to we want to be better for you collectors than what you've been getting. We're gonna we're gonna fix those ills if that's truly what it is, or hey, we're we're just a big company. We need we're gonna make our bank account bigger. Only they can answer that for sure. But what I think it does show is they're I don't know if cutthroat. Maybe maybe it's too. Strong, but they're they're not you know they're not here to make friends with uh, competitors. They're here to take over the the, the landscape. I think we're, we're seeing that now. They hold three uh, three of the four major sports, if you will, uh, licenses. And and you know, depending on you know, you're hearing like you said, there's speculation from all, all everywhere. That, you know, I've I've even recently heard um, that they'd love to either get the hockey license or acquire upper deck where they now have all four. Now I did a breaking cardboard show with Chris Carlin about a month ago and Chris made a point and he said, he, I, I know we're going to be doing other things, but I have to address this fanatics. And uh, I give Chris a lot of credit, uh, kind of faced it head on. He said, Hey, uh, we're not, we're a privately owned company. I'm not aware of us being for sale. We don't have an intent to sell. Um, and so it was ref- it was nice to hear him say that. Uh, but again, money talks, as, as you know, as well as I do. Um, so I think it's a, I'm glad you brought that that first foray that uh, Michael Rubin said, because I think it shows you that they're not messing around, whether you like it or not. I'm not I don't like everything about it. I've said that on my own show, Brett, uh, but. They don't care what I think, and and uh, as, as far as that goes, um, I'm a little nervous. Uh, I don't I don't think it's a good thing when one company or one person does everything. You know, the word monopoly uh, comes to, to mind. Even take that word out. Let's say it's not a monopoly, but when one person just tries to do everything and kind of take over the whole thing, I I, I like choice as a consumer. 
Um, I, I do. And uh, I, I don't want to see less choices, potentially. I'd like to see better choices. So, you know, on the optimistic side, I'm hoping, you know, that whether you didn't like the delivery of that first statement or not, hopefully they do have the collector best interest in mind. But, you know, like if someone else private messaged me, and I'm sure you get asked questions like that a lot too. Like, what are you really, you know, you know, is is a, is wax going to be cheaper, John? Is you know stuff going to be more readily available? And I, you know, first thing I say is, listen, I I don't know anything I'm about to type to you is all speculation. I could be wrong, but you know, they paid uh, reportedly paid ten times what tops highest amount ever. That's a lot of money. Now you got the players uh, with an equity stake. You know, more when some costs more money, right? Usually the prices don't go down, right? When a barrel of oil costs uh, the government more money to purchase and import, that's when gas prices go up. So I'm a little leery when I hear, hey, they paid 10 times the previous high for this license. And someone asked me, do you, do you think wax prices will come down now? I'd be lying if I said I think they will. Again, I don't know. I, it's all speculation. It's all no one knows ultimately except what happens behind a closed door. But, uh, you know, you're in business. Yes. Uh, I've been in the corporate world at different times uh, throughout my life. Just being 48 years old, you just learn stuff uh, by accident. Anytime an, a product costs more uh, on the front end, who pays for it, right? The back end. So unless they're really going to come out early and say, hey, we're going to lose money for a couple of years and kind of be nice. And then, you know, which I don't, I don't see it. What do I, what do I know? Yeah. Maybe we, I'd love to maybe have you touch on this and, and share some advice um, with the audience. Maybe just to close this out there, you know, there's some last year was crazy prices just changed content coming in acquisitions, mergers, and then fanatics news happens more change uncertainty. Um, I'm someone who typically likes change. I, I thrive on change, but I understand not necessarily everyone does, nor am I sure how I quite feel about the fanatics news and everything that's happening. I haven't really talked about it much on the show. I will say that um, it's inevitable. So it's, you know, we got, we're going to have to adapt and deal with whatever's coming our way as collectors and in this hobby that we love. But I guess Maybe closing us out, John, like what advice do you have? You've seen a lot in your time in the hobby. A lot of change has happened. Like what have you done, I guess, as change has come? And like maybe what advice do you have for any listeners? Because we're sure to see some things change over the course of the next several years. Uh, I'm going to make this sound probably a lot more simpler than it actually is. But I've said even before this fanatic deal uh, came to be, Brett, I've always said, you know, as consumers, as hobby consumers, we have the power with what our wallets or purses do or bank accounts do, right? You know, we talked about grading and we saw what happened in the grading space. The, the submission prices just skyrocket up, right? Stop subbing, right? You don't like the price. That's what I did. Or I went to a different uh, grading company and subbed at a lower level or stopped grading, right? We kind of control uh, the market, even over these big companies like a Fanatics in this case that we're, we're talking about. We have that power. I think sometimes as consumers, two things happen. We don't really either realize it or we don't know how to wield it. 
And then you have that third sort of someone that's just going to pay no matter what and, and, and kind of changes the game uh, for us, those that are trying to, to make those smarter, you know, economic decisions. You know, with the fanatics thing, whatever happens, the, the, again, not even just the money aspect, but, you know, if you don't want to buy fanatics, I'm, I'm a vintage guy too. I'm going to be continuing to buy a vintage stuff, stuff that's already out there and printed and whether it's graded or raw. I know you do that uh, just the same, you know, from the eighties or, or further back or whatever. So those cards are still going to be around. So if you're not a fanatics guy, it rubs you the wrong way. You're a traditionalist. Hey, you know, I've seen some people, I'm sure you have too. say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not, if it's not tops, I'm not, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm, you don't have to, that's the beauty. You have that choice. I've seen other people say, this is my cue uh, to get out of the hobby and start to sell all this stuff too. Now I don't like, I don't like people leaving the hobby, but we're all adults. Right. And, and I guess we have those choices uh, to make. And uh, I would tell that person like probably another way to do it without having to get out, like, you know, just collect the stuff that already exists and, you know, have to support fanatics. And I don't want this to be an anti fanatics thing. I hope they do a great job. Like you said, we don't get a lot of say it is what it is we have to kind of roll with the punches and uh, roll with the changes so i'm not really rooting against them but i guess just kind of coming you know full closing it out is ultimately we we're our own ceos of our hobby company we make the purchase decisions hey i'm gonna buy that i'm gonna pivot uh to this i'm gonna start collecting this now whatever and and so we actually have the final say with what we do we can you can stay in the hobby and not submit to this graded cards of this company i'm not going to buy packs of that brand we that's happening now people don't buy panini baseball because there's no logos on it, right um that stuff will always be like that so we have the choices i i I'd like to think everyone would stay in the hobby and just hobby you know the way they choose and support uh, the companies they like and endorse the companies they like, but um, it's going to be, I will say this, and I know you'll agree, it's going to be an interesting uh, next five, 10 years uh, uh, to see how this landscape all, you know, shapes out, shakes out. Strap in, as I like to say. <laughs> um, everyone, uh, John, John's dropping a lot of content. Maybe before you go, share when everything you're you're creating drops what and and let the audience know uh where to find you all right so mondays uh we do a show called hobby quick hits that's just me and my big mouth hopefully about only 20 minutes 30 minutes i'll tackle one subject and uh run with it and then press stop matter of fact this week's episode uh, this past monday uh we're talking about fanatics is uh someone asked me if fanatics didn't buy tops or Panini just did their own thing, what I like to see him do. So uh, I did an episode where if I was Michael Rubin, if you will, uh, what I like to see them do uh, with the, with the qualifier that they don't buy an existing company. So that's Mondays. And then Fridays, uh, like yourself here, uh, we do uh, sports donation. That's an interview uh, show, uh, less of me, more of a guest. Uh, you were just on uh, I, Urge everyone to check out that uh, episode. Great, uh, great hobby conversation. Me and you chopped up much like we did 
uh, today. And uh, that's Friday. And then once a month, um, I do a, a, a live video one. Uh, it's called Breaking Cardboard. And it's usually me, a guest host, and uh, a guest. And uh, I do that once a month. And uh, that's enough. You know, someone said, can you do that every week? I'm like, no, I'm too old. I got to sleep at some point, uh, too. So. Well, well, everyone go check out John's stuff. We are better for it. John Newman, Sports Card Nation. Thanks so much for being on the show. And this we'll have to get you back on uh, here soon. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Brett. It was fun. John is a wealth of experience and knowledge, and we are all better for having his show in our hobby. If you're not already, go hit subscribe on Sports Card Nation. He's always bringing guests, curating the best, one of the good dudes in the hobby. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend. Most importantly, enjoy the hobby. It's an escape and have a hell of a weekend. Take care. More Stacking Slabs next week.